Welcome to the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast with Katie Papo. Our mission is to share the simplest and most peaceful system for food freedom in the world with people who suffer from binge eating, food addiction, and compulsive overeating. We are here to show that with the right strategy and support, any committed, coachable, and resourceful individual can feel peaceful and free with food. Hello, hello. So today I'm really actually going to just dive into the topic. So if you're watching right now, please let me know you can hear me, say hello. Um, for those of you who have already completed our program, this is going to be a really nice review for you today. Um, and for those of you who are new to this work, um, this is a really important concept to understand. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of introduce it from the beginning and I'll go through all the different steps. And really the topic is going to boil down to how to handle cravings, compulsions, and obsessive thoughts. And there are some nuances between compulsions and obsessive thoughts, but today we're just going to kind of lump them together to, to teach you this, this concept. And then as soon as today, you're actually going to be able to start practicing this on your own. So, um, hey, Mary, I'm happy to see you. Mary is always here right on time. <laughs> and I love to see you here. Okay, so let us begin. So first, I wanted to talk about, you know, first draw a distinction here that what we're covering today is the mind, basically, because if we think about it, yes, the food is like the trigger that could bring up that craving. But really, it's actually if we're really looking at it, it's the thoughts. It's not just um, it's not just the food. In fact, it's actually not at all the food because um, and the proof of that is if if let's say a donut is my trigger, right? I might have some kind of reaction to that, but you might not. Therefore, it's not the donut that's causing those things. It's my reaction. It's my thoughts to it. So today's topic, we're completely focused on what's going on in our own mind and how to create some more peace around cravings, around obsessive thoughts. So not only do you feel more peaceful when they come up, but actually when we stop feeding them and we stop giving them all that drama and all that energy, they actually can even start to fall away on their own, which is what we see happen all the time. <laughs> and cloud watching is a technique that I'm gonna talk about today. It's not an official term, it's what I call it and what I've named it and what we teach. Um, and our clients have gotten really wonderful results just from practicing this technique. And it can be a little tricky to learn in the beginning, but with practice and with repetition, you'll see some major changes in your peace around food and your freedom around food and your ability to make clear decisions about what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat without all of the drama and emotional baggage with it. So give me one moment right now. I'm just going to kind of plug my computer in so it doesn't die. Okay, so now we're all set. Okay, so let's first ask this, this important question, because if we're dealing with cravings and we'll focus on, you know, cravings in, in this in this context here. So what are cravings? What are they? Cravings are are they things? Can we see them? We can certainly feel them. We certainly experience them. But what are they actually? Uh, if we're to look at what cravings really are, they're thoughts. 
right? And more specifically, they might be a thought combined with like a physical feeling. So for example, if you're craving something, you might have some thoughts about that thing, but accompanied with those thoughts, there might be some physical unpleasant sensations, like maybe a tightening of the chest or maybe like a holding of the breath or tension of the muscles. So, because, you know, no one like gets a craving and then is like, ah, what a nice craving, <laughs> right? Instead, we're, we get riled up about it and we get tense about it. So usually a craving is marked by the thought itself of the food, the obsessive nature is usually what will mark the craving or the compulsive nature. And then there's that physical feeling that goes along with it. And what's important to understand when we're dealing with something like cravings is that thoughts, cravings, feelings, whatever you want to call them, they're not actually you. Okay. So it's been estimated by scientists that we have 60 to 90,000 thoughts a day. There's no way that we are those thoughts, right? Because we're not 60 to 90,000 things, right? The thoughts, they're not us, but they come by, they visit, they come, they go. That's how thoughts behave. That's how we experience them. Same with cravings, right? A craving, you might have it, goes away, then it comes back goes away, comes back. So, and, and same with fit with feelings, like even think about um, not just the physical feelings associated with cravings, but any physical feeling, right? You have an itch on your nose, goes away, might come back, might, you might get an itch somewhere else. Like, so these thoughts, these cravings, these feelings, they're always moving. They're always changing. They're always shifting. And while sometimes it feels like, you know, this has been here forever. Like I can't shake this thought. Like once we get into obsessive thoughts or that craving that just won't go away, it's still not you. It's, we still know eventually it will pass. Even if it comes back, we know that it's, we know that it's moving. We know that it's changing. So given that they're, they're not you, what becomes possible is we can witness them. Right. If something's not you and you can you can separate yourself from it, you can kind of see it. Right. So I might notice like an itch on my nose. But I know that's not me, but I can still witness the itch on my nose. Right. And I could witness it in a couple ways. I could witness it by judging it. I can witness it and say, oh, what's I hate this feeling. This is the worst feeling. Or I could witness it more peacefully and say, oh, I noticed that the nose is itchy and this will pass, right? So there can be a difference in energy and how we react to something. But the bottom line is that because the thoughts, because the feelings, because the, the cravings aren't you, it is possible for us to witness them as the observer. So kind of like creating a separation where you can observe it. And I also want to acknowledge that in terms of cravings, thoughts, negative feelings, even if they're negative, there's nothing wrong with negative ones. OK, just because a thought is negative or a craving is unpleasant or a feeling is unpleasant, unpleasant doesn't mean that it's actually harmful in in and of itself. OK, the pro the real problem comes and this is what creates the chronic problems is when you identify with those cravings, when the, you treat them like they are you and then you start taking them really seriously. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine you have an obsessive thought. Let's say the obsessive thought is, I'm fat. That's one I hear a lot, okay? So let's say that that's been kind of spinning around in your consciousness for a long time, right? You start to 
the more you repeat it, the more you start to believe it, the more you start to identify with it, the more you start to react dramatically to it. So instead of saying like, oh, this came up as like this residue because I've been thinking about this for a long time, I don't need to take that seriously now or call myself names right now. Instead, if we say like, oh my God, yes, I am, this is the worst, da, 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 and we start to make a big drama out of it. So, so it's not that there's something wrong with experiencing judgment or experiencing negative thoughts. The real problem, like the chronic problems come when we identify with them closely and we take them really seriously. So what I'm getting into today is that while most people uh, will try to push thoughts away or distract themselves from the thoughts or, you know, avoid them altogether. You don't actually need to push thoughts or feelings away or indulge them. This is a choice. And remember, we're all, you know, everything that we teach, it's all about freedom, right? It's all about freedom. What is freedom? <laughs> freedom is choice. When we actually have freedom to choose, when we can take ownership over, I'm going to either make this decision or this decision, that's freedom. So really what we're talking about here is the choice. And with when it comes to cravings, when it comes to thoughts, unpleasant feelings, intrusive thoughts, we have the option, we have the freedom, we have the choice of how we want to react to those things. So you don't actually need to push thoughts away, push feelings away, or indulge them. Okay, and I'm going to go into in a couple minutes, I'm going to go into why actually pushing thoughts or feelings or cravings away is actually significantly more harmful than helpful, which is the total opposite, I know, of what a lot of people out there teach. Even people who are renowned in their field are still teaching this, which I think is pretty crazy. Um, but it's actually been proven over and over that this is going to be more harmful than helpful in the long run. So what's the alternative then? If we're not pushing thoughts away, if we're not avoiding them, if we're not running away from them, if we're not fighting them, what do we do with them, right? So that's what that's what we're going to get into. So instead, and I'm kind of giving you the general and then we'll get down to more specific. Instead, and this is what we're talking about today, we're going to practice being peaceful in their presence and moving on. So minimal drama, minimal suffering, Rather, allowing them, practicing being peaceful while they exist, right? They can exist and we can be peaceful at the same time and then letting it go and moving on. So that's where this term cloud watching comes from, because as the thoughts come, the idea is to watch them and treat them like clouds, OK, because clouds, right, they're always floating by. They're coming in, they're going out, they're changing shape, they're changing form. Can we change how they look? And this is exactly what thoughts and feelings and cravings are, right? They come in, they come out, they change, they shift, they go away, they come back. That's what that's what that's essentially how clouds behave. So and and just like clouds, we we are the observer, right? We lay on the grassy hill, we look up and we watch them just like an observer. And now while we're observing them, we're not getting dramatic like, oh, I hate that cloud. I got to get rid of that one. I hope it blows away soon, right? We don't get dramatic about it because it's just a cloud, right? So now it's about applying that same sort of mentality to your thought clouds, to your craving clouds, 
Does this make sense? So when you can understand that they're not you and start to separate yourself from them, and this comes with practice, then you have the ability that if, a, if something like that comes, you can just witness it as a peaceful observer. So now the question becomes, why would we choose that path? Why would we choose to allow them to be there and let and practice peacefully existing with them as opposed to pushing them away, battling them, avoiding them, running from them? Why would we choose that instead of doing, you know, what most other people are teaching? And the reason for that is because that pushing away, that indulgence, that fighting or that running away, what that does, that creates an attachment. Anytime we give a strong emotional reaction to something, we are energetically attaching to it, right? So, so um, think about even how trauma works, right? When people experience trauma, they have a really strong emotional and oftentimes what goes along with that is the physical reaction to it. So their body kind of shuts down. They have a strong emotional reaction. Then when a similar scenario comes up later in life, right, they're going to experience a similar reaction to the one that they had the first time, right? Because there was such a strong emotion to it. So then when they when it happens again, they're reliving it. It created this attachment, right? So and to even think about um, just on a physics level, right? If I'm trying to push something away, I have to uh, I have to physically attach to it in order to push it. Does that make sense? I have to attach in order to push. Basically, in order to push something or to fight something or to avoid something, I have to give it a lot of my attention. And the more I give my attention to something, the more attached I am to that thing. So we actually achieve the opposite of what we want when we try to fight with cravings or fight with our brains, because we're creating an even deeper attachment to those things by giving them all of this um, attention. That's not only attention, but it's attention with emotion fueling it. So it's ex it feels like an extra strong attachment. Does that make sense? So the goal is actually with cloud watching, it's it's the opposite. It's complete detachment. Stepping back, <laughs> letting go, being the observer. In other words, you're not trying to control the, the thoughts and the cravings over here. You're not trying to control the, the physical reactions. Instead, you're just focused on detaching as that peaceful observer, as that peaceful witness to what's going on without attaching all of the drama and all of the old stories and all of the, the fighting. Does this make sense? So really what it boils down to is it's a peaceful coexistence with the thoughts, with the feelings, with the sensations, okay? Now, what happens when we do this, it's kind of like that, um, I wanna use an example that I use in my masterclass. If you guys have seen our five shifts, our five shifts to end binge eating and food obsession, in there's five shifts we talk about. In shift number two, I give this example. So if you guys remember the movie, The Sixth Sense, spoiler alert, <laughs> he sees dead people um, and it's this little kid and he's freaking out because everywhere he goes, he sees dead people and it's really scary. So what does he do? What's his initial reaction? It's exactly how we treat cravings and thoughts. Like first he tries to run away. 
then it's like kind of trying to fight it. He's trying to fight himself. He's trying to fight his own mind. He's running away like crazy, trying to avoid situations where he's going to see the dead people. He's scared to go anywhere. Kind of like how, you know, when we're scared, if we're going to eat, we avoid those aisles of the supermarket. We avoid the restaurants. We avoid the social situations where we're going to be put in that position, right? It's this avoidance game. Now, eventually what happens is he he's in a situation where he's in a house and a little dead girl wants his attention. And instead of trying to fight it or run from it, instead, he just sort of lets himself be an observer and a listener to her situation. Okay. He lets himself kind of put his own ego aside and his own fears aside and he just sees what's there. And what he discovers is that she actually just needs a favor from him so she can have her own closure and go on to the afterlife or whatever their philosophy is. And then that's it. And then she doesn't feel the need to come back anymore because she got what she needed. She doesn't need to send those messages over and over again. So what happens with cravings is something very similar. Right. They come, they feel very strong. They feel very scary. We try to run from them. We feel like if we give them attention, they'll just consume us. What happens is the is the exact opposite. When we practice just being with them as the peaceful observer without attaching all of the drama, then what's left is just what's there and what are cravings really their thoughts, their physical sensations. And that's really all they are. That's it. Um, now, of course, in theory, this sounds like, oh, well, that's really simple. Like, it can't possibly be that simple. And it, it is simple, but it doesn't mean it's easy <laughs> because the mind is saying, no, 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 you need to pay attention to this. This is really important. This is really scary. You've been fearing this for the last 30 years, so you should still be afraid of it now. You should still fight this. You have to fight this. The mind has all of those thoughts that are still coming up. So what happens is that sometimes then we believe those thoughts. And one thing that I just want to share is that just because we have a thought or we have a belief, it doesn't mean it's true. And I see it all the time, like how many times, you know, and, and I see that a few of our, our clients are listening. How many times have you said to us before you started this journey, did you say, I failed everything. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fail. I'm so worried about failing. You've had that thought of failure over and over and over. So the mind starts to believe that if you try something, you're gonna fail it, right? And <laughs> I think we all can see now that that's not necessarily true. Just because it was your thought, just because it was your belief, doesn't mean that that's true. But a lot of times when we think something over and over, it's almost like we sort of convince ourselves that it's true because that's the only way we've been thinking. We don't even think that there's another way. So what we're, what I'm encouraging all of us to do is to kind of like take that step back, be that observer and actually ask those questions when we look at it. Is it actually true? Right. And also on, on the on the same sort of connection there, it's just because you've held a belief for a long time doesn't mean you need to keep that belief. So, for example, a lot of you guys who have worked with us, you held that belief of being a failure for a, a number of years. It could have been 10 years, could have been 20, 30, 40 years. You might have held that belief. Now, does that belief serve you anymore? Obviously not, right? So you don't need to keep holding onto that belief. You don't need to keep it, 
right? So we can choose. And a lot of times when it comes to beliefs and thoughts, we pull a lot of these from our parents, from our siblings, from our teachers, you know, the people who we grew up with, who they were our main influences. That's a lot of time where we hold those beliefs from. And when we're kids, we don't have the the know-how to decide, hmm, I, I want to decide like which beliefs actually serve me. And, and I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to discriminate between the ones that serve me and the ones that, I, that don't. We don't do that as kids because we don't even think that it's possible that what our parents or our role models are saying aren't true necessarily. So it's also, you know, just because you've believed something for a long time, that doesn't make it true either. And this is one of the thoughts that you can start to cloud watch is just noticing, hmm, oh, that that's that old residue thought coming up again. But if that thought, and you can choose to keep it, right? But why defend a belief that doesn't actually serve you? You know, if you find that you have a belief that doesn't serve you, why put your energy into defending it when you can put your energy into questioning it? Does that make sense? So basically you have this freedom to decide which thoughts to give your energy to and which ones to kind of release and let go of. Maybe they've been thoughts you've held for a long time. Maybe they did come from external forces or external sources. A lot of times that's where those limiting beliefs come from is they're not even ours. <laughs> like they came from someone else. They came from a previous generation, but we just hold them because we assume them as truth as young people. And then we don't really question them growing up. Now you have the freedom to decide which thoughts you do want to give your energy to and which ones to whew, release. Does that make sense? Now, again, simple, but how do we actually do it? We do it through practice. So the repetition, the practice, this is what makes up 99% of your success. And I say this all the time um, because I think a lot of people, they, they expect to have like an aha moment and then for that to suddenly erase all the years of programming that they've had around food and, and suddenly it's gone and they have a totally different relationship. Typically, that's not how it works. Some people do get these grand epiphanies and make major strides with just an epiphany, but usually it's not the theory. Most of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, the way that people make these changes are through genuine repetition and practice because how does the brain get wired? You know, a lot of people these days talk about brain training. Not everyone understands how it works, but it's actually pretty simple. It all just boils down to the repetition and practice. So the brain gets used to firing in that way. And then you get to the point where you've done it so many times that you don't have to consciously think about it anymore. It automatically just goes there. So now, for example, if I experience a craving, there's like no drama around it at all. I barely even take it seriously. Right. I still might eat the food, you know, if I decide to have it, I'll eat it and I'll enjoy it. But it's not going to turn into this big back and forth thing. If I eat it or I don't eat it, either way, I'm letting it go. So it didn't used to be that way. That took the repetition and the practice and the coming back and the practice really of being the peaceful observer. And then the question becomes, you know, if we're if, if the main practice is letting thoughts and feelings exist and pass with peace then what's the most important thing that we need to do? 
how to create peace. <laughs> if we want to let thoughts and feelings exist and pass with peace, we need to understand how to create peace within ourselves. And that can sound sort of theoretical, but there's actually physical ways we can do it, right? Because even if you were to look at something as small and simple as the breath, we all know that there's a, dip, a big difference between the breathing pattern of someone who's in the middle of a panic attack versus the breathing pattern of someone who's totally relaxed, half asleep, right? What's the breathing pattern of someone who's super panicked? <gasps> Lots of mouth breathing, barely any exhales, you know, strong, like swallowy inhales, really shallow. Whereas when we're relaxed, the breath is very slow. The breath is very deep, right? Peace within the body also, right? Does this look peaceful to you? I didn't change anything except my physiological, except my body language here, right? You see my fists, this is not peaceful. You see my shoulders like going all the way up to my ears. This is not peaceful. Peace, right, is where we can actually bring peace to the body, relax, peace to the muscles. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever taken any yoga class, but at the end you, you lay down for a while and you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm so peaceful because you spend the time relaxing all those different body parts. So the body starts to feel more peaceful. Now, the body and the mind, they're so close. They're like married <laughs> forever. And they're so closely connected that the body, the mind will affect the body. So for example, if I, even if I'm just sitting here in my quiet room and you know nothing's really going on, if I start to just think about a traumatic experience, my physiology will shift. Maybe my jaw will clench. Maybe my forehead will scrunch. My shoulders will go up. I'm experiencing a physical response just from a thought. That shows how the mind affects the body directly. And the good news about that connection is that the body also affects the mind. Um, directly. So when you learn to relax the body in that way, guess who follows? <laughs> then the mind also starts to relax because they're closely connected. So a lot of the training that we do is how to build that relaxed state and kind of build that as more of your baseline and your norm, because then the mind starts to follow. And when you have that sort of peaceful body, the mind is more relaxed, then when a craving comes, there's a much better chance that you're going to be able to view it like this peaceful observer, allowing it to exist, knowing that even if the thought, the craving is over there, you can still stay relaxed, you can still manage your breathing, you can still stay peaceful, allowing the craving to be here, you're over here, and you can both coexist and you can be peaceful about it. That's the idea of cloud watching. Does that make sense? So this is an important concept. Um, I don't I didn't see any questions coming through, but feel free to type them into the comments after I, I usually go back and I, I look and see if, if anyone had any questions um, and let me know if you're watching the replay, too. But this is one of the this is one of the most important things that we can practice on a mental level, because not only will it affect you physically, but it's going to affect your entire relationship with cravings. Because imagine if you've had, let's say, a peaceful experience with cravings, let's say, 10 times. Then the 11th time that you have a craving, right? It's like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. That'll go along in its own time. I don't need to do anything. I can just let it exist and I'll just move on with my life. Now imagine you've done that 20 times and you've had 20 times where you've practiced that. Now it's getting even easier, right? It's not that it's harder. It's actually getting easier because you've had more practice. Now imagine 30 times, 40 times, 50 times.
Now suddenly it's just like, it's not even a big deal. It like doesn't even register on your radar because it's so easy, it's so automatic. Does that make sense? So this is how we build it. And we build it just like we build any other skill. Like if you are somebody who knows how to play the piano or ride a bicycle or play a sport, you know that you cultivated those skills through your practice and through your repetition, right? You didn't learn how to play the piano by reading a book about piano. Maybe that could be like a supplement, but you're not really going to learn until you actually sit down and start practicing. And it's the same thing here. And this pretty much goes for every single philosophy that we have is that it will be fairly useless until it's actually practiced. But once it's practiced and it's practiced just like how you treat any other skill, like playing a piano, something like that, then you're going to get to see all of these beautiful results. And what's beautiful about when you can be peaceful around cravings is then you actually you're creating kind of space for yourself where you can then ask yourself in a non-judgmental way, you can ask yourself questions like, is this really what I want right now? Is this really serving me? Is it, did this come from something else? Like, is this, will this actually help me? We start asking ourselves those questions, but we can do it from a place of not rushing, no judgment, no need to try to push it away. There's no fear around them. And what this does is it helps to then the obsessive thoughts start to just fall away. Why? Because you're acknowledging them, but you're not giving them any kind of emotional attention. So they're not reprogramming in the brain over and over as something to really, you know, this is an emergency. This is important. This is urgent, like red flag alert. Like the brain doesn't register cravings like that anymore. It's just like, oh, okay. And it's really as peaceful as that. So this is the idea. And again, like I said, it comes with the practice. So what you can practice today is the next time a craving comes, you let it be there. You don't try to push it. You don't try to fight it. And by the way, you also don't do this practicing. I'm going to try to be peaceful and hope that the craving goes away. <laughs> like You don't do it with that mentality. You do it with the mentality of, I'm just going to let it be here. And while it's here, I'm just going to relax myself. And you just practice coexisting peacefully while the craving's over here. You focus on slowing your breathing down. You focus, focus on relaxing your body. You Any thoughts that come of, oh, you can't do this, you're a failure, those might come. But you treat them again. That's a cloud too. You don't need to treat them as seriousness. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's a belief you've held for a while doesn't mean you need to keep it. Remember? So again, we can just say, oh, Yep, I remember that thought, but I'll just let it be here and I'm just going to bring myself back to what I'm doing. Does that make sense? So that's something that you can do because when you do that enough times, those strong cravings barely even come up anymore because they aren't getting attention. These things only repeat themselves over and over chronically when we give them that attention and that attachment, that emotional attachment. Does that make sense? All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for being here. If you have any questions, feel free to, excuse me, type them into the comments. Uh, again, I come here every week, Wednesdays right now, at the time of this recording, we're doing Wednesdays, 9.30 uh, a.m. Eastern time, and we send out the replays as well. And you can also find these, these talks on our podcast, Binge Eating to Food Freedom, which you should be able to find in any of your favorite podcast apps. So with that, let me sign off now and I will see you next week. All right. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye.